He breaks the power of reigning sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Is that your testimony? I hope it is. His blood can make the foulest clean. Um, Let me remind you too, right now, raise your hand in your heart. And if you want to raise it for me to see it, that's fine. If you haven't taken the new members class and you're a member of the church, put a mark on yourself and know that you should be here next Sunday during the Sunday school hour when we start the new member slash inquirers class. So please plan to be here if you're a new member and have not taken it in the past. If you are a member and have taken it in the past and want to join, you're welcome to. Please open your Bibles to the book of Acts. We have a lot to cover today. Acts chapter 20. We're marching our way toward the end. Let's have a word of prayer before we start. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for making us clean. Oh Lord, you gave us the word. You cleaned us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for choosing us even before you made anything. Thank you for not withholding even your own beloved Son in order to redeem us. Father, we pray as we look to your word today that you'd bless us. Please help me to speak truthfully and with power. And bless all of us as we listen to it, that may it go down into our inwardmost parts. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last time we read about Paul, he's ready to leave Ephesus, and they're going to Macedonia. Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, uh, Achaia, the church in Corinth, and then back to Jerusalem for a time, and then he wants to go to Rome. So this is Paul's plan. I'm leaving Ephesus. I'm going to Macedonia. I'm going to swing by everywhere where we've been working on the way to Jerusalem. And if you remember, we, we haven't discussed this yet. Why does he want to get to Jerusalem? He has a, an offering that he's been collecting, that he's been telling all the churches in Macedonia and Achaia and everywhere that the poor people in Jerusalem need help. And it's right for the Christians to gather up their funds and help. And his desire is, is to take that money to Jerusalem. And he, we'll see today, he wants to get there before Pentecost. 
probably because there'll be lots of people gathered together and he can distribute the money to everyone easily. But we'll get there. And if you remember, a riot started last time at Ephesus. This is before they actually leave to go through Macedonia before going to Jerusalem, before leaving to set out on that plan, there arose, verse 23 of chapter 19, no little disturbance concerning the way. And if you remember that this is because of an issue of business, but no doubt, I didn't discuss this last time, no doubt was demonic influence also, right? Why would a person without demonic influence oppose the word of life for money? That's stupid. No one in their right mind would reject the grace of God for money. But because of divine, or excuse me, demonic influence, both outwardly and inwardly, There's a riot, a big disturbance. And the issue was that lots of people weren't really buying silver idols anymore. My business has lost 25% since these Christians started coming around. If we don't close them down, how low will it go? And if you remember we talked about this, the great temple And our goddess might be counted as nothing. This is a big problem. Remember we discussed something similar. Was this something similar to like religious tourism? If we don't shut this down, the temple's not even going to be famous anymore. And no one's going to come here and buy all of our stuff. And the crowd gets stirred up. A riot starts. You remember we talked about this last time. A book written in 1895 by Gustave Le Bon. And the book is called The Crowd, A Study of the Popular Mind. And, quote, Le Bon came up with a very interesting analysis. This is Albert Moeller talking about the book. He said that when you think about the human mind, you need to think also about human minds. You have one person talking to another person. You have one mind talking to another mind. Interesting, rational things can happen. You add a third mind and a fourth mind and a fifth mind, and you still can have something of a conversation. You add up thousands of minds... And here's Gustave Le Bon's point. At that point, the crowd, oddly enough, seems to take on a mind of its own. And he also said, who knows with whom you are gathering in the massive crowd? What are their ideas like? There's an idea that everyone in the crowd shares the same ideas. They don't. But the crowd begins to lose inhibitions. The situation, the context of being crowded together with other human beings means they're not so polite as you would be in a smaller context. 
You are not so generous as you might be in another smaller context. You are not even thinking so clearly as you might in a smaller, less crowded context. You get into the crowd, you may actually get so confused, you do not operate on the basis of the same reason, rationality, even moral instincts by which you would operate in any other context. The crowd turns out to be an extraordinarily dangerous reality. And this happens online too, doesn't it? People say things online that they would never say face to face because they know it's rude and hurtful and they wouldn't do it if they actually knew the person. But when there's a crowd, there is an online crowd. And people play up to the crowd even online. There's an audience. Well, anyway, doesn't that ring true in your mind? And that's what happened in Ephesus on that day. The crowd gets stirred up, and as it grew, even verse uh, 32, some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. If you don't know why you're there, why are you upset? How could you possibly be upset if you don't even know why you're in a crowd? Because the, the crowd has a mind of its own now. And they cry out and cry out, and a man named Alexander tries to make a defense for what's been going on. They shout him down for two hours. Finally, the town clerk is able to talk some sense into them. He says, if y'all don't cut this out, the Romans are going to come in here and it's not going to be good. Y'all need to go home. If this is really an issue, we have courts. Take them to court. But no doubt it was God's work to calm down the crowd and spare his people. And two of the people that had gotten caught up in that was a man named Gaius and um, <clears throat> Aristarchus and from before even you remember Paul was going to charge into the crowd and they were like they had already captured Gaius and Aristarchus and Paul's going to go in there and say let me talk to them and they're like they will rip your body apart they will kill you you cannot go into the crowd well anyway it seems to calm down Forty, Verse 40, we really are in danger of being charged with rioting since there's no cause that we can justify this commotion. When he said these things, he dismissed the assembly. This is the town clerk. And then we read verse 1. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. So he'd already made the plans to depart, but a riot happened in between. Well, let's read today's text. We'll we'll read through chapter 20 uh, until chapter 21. Verse 2, when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater, the Berean son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, 
and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Verse 7, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him into his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Azos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. And the next day, we touched at Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus. And Paul had decided to sail, excuse me, for Paul had decided to set sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers 
to care for the church of God by which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Amen. Verse 2, he goes to Macedonia, probably Troas, Berea, Thessalonica, and Philippi, and maybe other places that aren't mentioned. Not sure exactly, but after that, they depart for Greece. Verse 3, they stay there three months. Encouraging the churches in Greece, like Corinth, Athens, among others. And really, um, there's some thought that, so um, in between Paul's visits to Corinth, he's written them the, what we call 1 Corinthians, and there's some thought that he sent Titus ahead of them to go to Corinth to sort of check out the waters before he came back a second time. Like, were they very upset with him? And he goes there and is received well again and and is able to stay there three months. History and scholars thinking that it was probably winter when he stayed there. Winter's not a great time for sailing across the seas. And so it seems like he stayed there three months in winter. Um. But during the three months, the same thing that's been happening again and again, what happens? A plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria. So we've seen this again and again. God is working. The Spirit is changing people. The gospel is being proclaimed. The captives are being set free. And opposition arises. Paul's there three months, opposition arises, the devil, listen, evil men and women are at work to persecute Jesus, right? I mean, they're persecuting Paul, but are they? Aren't they persecuting Jesus? When Jesus met Paul, 
and Paul had been persecuting Christians, what did Jesus say to him? Why are you persecuting me? Why are you opposing me? And these people who are doing that to Paul, they're opposing Christ. They're hard at work, men and women, plotting, scheming. How can we trap him? Where can we catch him? Can you, can you go there and deceive them and tell them that this way is blocked and need to go around that way? You can, your mind can imagine plots, even if we're not told exactly what's happening. We aren't told what happened, but something to do with catching him at the port, probably. The Jews made a plot against him as he was about to set sail for Syria. So, he finds out about the plot. Not sure how. Did God tell him directly? Did somebody else who's a Christian find out about it? We don't know. But he finds out about it, and instead of going to sailing to Syria. So think about it. He's gone from Macedonia to Greece. He's about to set sail for Syria. He's going home at this point. Remember, Antioch in Syria is the sending church of these missionaries. He's planning to, to, to take any ship that's going to take him to Syria and hustle down to Jerusalem so he can be there before Pentecost. Well, they find out about him sailing. They plot against him. He decides, okay, I'm not going to go by sea after all. I'm just going to go by land right now. Verse, um, the end of verse 3, I'm going to return through Macedonia. So he just came from Macedonia, went to Greece. He's there now in Corinth. He wants to set sail for Syria, but they're waiting for him. So he says, okay, we're going to go. We're going to walk back to Macedonia. Back through the churches, probably Choaz, Berea, Thessalonica, Philippi. Um, and, and keep in mind, remember, he's going to these places in the first place to, to give them a, a farewell encouragement, but also to collect money. And he's got representatives from every area. And if you think about this, this would provide some numbers, right? Protect against bandits on the road. Wouldn't they love to steal a big pile of money from these guys? But also to ensure that, that there's no funny business going on with the money, of, right? With God's money, the church's money. Make sure it's handled properly. So there's lots of witnesses that are with him at this point. People we've read about before, some we haven't. But from Berea, you have Sopater. From Thessalonica, Aristarchus and Secundus. From Derby, Gaius. From Lystra, Timothy. From Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. And don't forget, Luke is with them also. You, this is something you may not notice, but he, in the text it keeps saying, we, 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 meaning the writer is with them. We then went here. These are a lot of witnesses. 
And the point is, we're taking this money, we're taking representatives from all these churches, and they can all come and report back and say, we delivered it to them, it was all on the up and up, and they were blessed and praised God and thanked God for our gifts. Um, Verse 5, These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi. So this is kind of confusing. Some of them went ahead to Troas, and some of them went to Philippi first for the Passover, and then sailed from Philippi to Troas to meet up with the rest of them. I don't know which ones went to Troas first, and which ones went to Philippi. I don't know. But they, they, they wanted to be in Philippi for some reason for the Passover, some of them. And then they went and met them, the ones who had gone to Troas, they met them there five days later. And then this text says, now at Troas, they stayed there for seven days. So another week. Verse 7, this is interesting. This is the first time in the book of Acts that the first day of the week meeting is mentioned. This is what we would call the Lord's Day. Not the Sabbath. The Sabbath is Saturday, the last day of the week. They're meeting on the first day of the week, on Sunday. This is the first time Sunday worship is mentioned in Acts. Certainly at the beginning of the church, they continued to meet on the Sabbath, not knowing what, what else should we do. It, the Lord is Lord. But over time, there seems to be a distinction. They were gathered together, verse 7, to break bread. Could be a meal, probably the Lord's Supper, maybe both. Probably both. And Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day. So they're spending the Lord's Day together in worship, breaking bread together, and then he's going to travel on Monday. He's going to wait until the next day to continue their traveling. And the text says he prolonged his speech until midnight. Now we don't know what time the sermon started. There's actually some people that argue that this is proof that some people were working on that day and they prolonged their meeting until the evening when most people would be off work. And maybe starting preaching at 6, he prolongs his sermon until midnight. Certainly, did he preach from 11 a.m. until midnight? I don't think so. It's a long time. But either way, that, that speculation about why they were meeting at night. Um, but this, this is interesting. So he prolongs his speech until midnight. Right? People would start, be starting to get sleepy anyway. It's midnight. And there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered. And I read this before and I just thought, it was the, I was thinking it was illuminated. But I don't think that's the point. I think the point is it was warm in there. A lot of lamps, many lamps were in the room. And a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window. Can you imagine? He's 
The room is very warm. He gets up maybe, goes and sits by the window. I need some air. I need to wake up. Don't know if that's what happened, but he definitely was sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep, fell out the window from the third story and died. Can you imagine if that happened here? The, the sorrow that we would all have immediately. Like, let's say we were visiting in Cambodia. Some of you who know that, how high up that worship service is. And somebody fell out the window and died because they fell asleep. We would, the whole church would be horrified. He, he's dead. The Bible says, taken up dead. Now listen, sometimes the Bible says things like, he was taken as dead. But that's different. That means it was almost like he was dead. Taken up dead means he was dead. Not just hurt really bad or knocked out. You know, you could read this in a different way. Verse 10, Paul went down, bent over him, taking him into his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. Paul's saying, Oh, don't, don't worry, he's still alive. He didn't die. That's not what he's saying. It's similar to the passage when Jesus says, Why are you crying? She's not dead. And they're like, Yes, she is. She's dead. And Jesus heals her. So, this is a miracle that happens, right? It's a miracle. This young man... Interestingly enough, this young man's name means lucky. Lucky fell asleep and fell out the window and died. And Paul healed lucky. He was lucky. You know, when you look up lucky, actually what it means is fortunate. He was fortunate. God helped him. Verse 11 so all this has happened, right? He's preached till midnight. They've had a death happen. Very, right? Very dramatic. Paul heals him. The excitement of all that, right? I don't think he went right back to preaching. But when Paul had gone up, so he went back up to the upper room where he had been preaching. And when he had broken bread and eaten... So finally they have the, the meal, the Lord's Supper and the meal together is why he was there in the first place. What time is it? 1 a.m.? 2 a.m.? After the commotion of all that stuff has happened? He conversed with them a long while until daybreak. So they stay up all night talking. He's about to set sail, about to travel the next day. He preaches all evening, and then they stay up all night talking. Has, have you ever done this? It's fun. It's exciting, especially when you see Christians you haven't seen for a while. And you just, you just, you're not tired. They stay up all night. Nobody was like, you need to go to bed, Paul. Y'all got a long trip in the morning. 
They weren't worried about that. They just wanted to be together. He conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. So it seems like he never went to sleep. He just stayed up all night. Verse 12, they took the youth away alive. Do you see the point? There's no need to mention this if he hadn't been actually dead before. They took him home alive. They were not a little comforted. It's kind of a weird way to say it, right? People say, how you doing? Not bad. Why why are you saying it that way? Why don't you say good? They were not a little comforted. They were a lot comforted. Verse 13. Oh, yeah, this is interesting too. So, So they leave Troas the next day. In 2 Timothy... Paul is writing to Timothy, this is chapter 4, verse 13, and he says, When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, along also the books, and above all the parchments. Like, it seems like he left them there at this point. Maybe he stayed up all night, and he forgot about his stuff, and he just went to the boat. I don't know, but later, Timothy's going there and he says, get my jacket when you go there, will you? And bring me the books. I need that stuff. It's interesting. Verse 13. They pass through a few notable places. Uh, They think that the ship was close to the shoreline and just, you know, not far off the shore, just deep enough to not hit anything. And going about a day's journey each time. Um, so they go to Assos and Chios. Chios is where Homer was born. And then they go to the next place, Samos or Samos. That's where the mathematician Pythagoras was born. It's interesting. And then they finally arrive in Miletus. Verse 16. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. So I think you can understand this. It's happened to me before anyway. I went to my hometown after not being there for many years and visited one person and left without telling people I was there because it would have taken me too long to get out of there. People want to meet for dinner. People want to talk, whatever. Paul says, let's go around Ephesus. There's too many people that are wanting to give me their goodbyes. We'll never get to Jerusalem in time. But they go to Miletus and he calls the elders from Ephesus to come meet him there. So he does want to talk to the elders there. But he doesn't want to spend too much time in Ephesus. Verse 17, in Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he gave them a message. Now this is, um, this is interesting. This is a great section because most of, the, or maybe all of what we've heard so far has been Paul preaching to people who are not believers yet. You know, the sermons that we hear and he, when he talks to Lydia or when he talks to the jailer, or all these various examples, the people in Athens, the people in Philippi, the people in Corinth, they're not believers. 
And the message that he's given is, is the right one for that context. But here, he's speaking to the church, to Christians, even to the leaders. He has a message for them. Verse 18, the section is kind of in four different... I, I got this from the ESV study Bible. I think it's good. They split it up into four sections. The first section, Paul says, let me remind you that I was a godly example. There's another section. What does the future hold for me? Another section. Be careful. Wolves are coming. And then finally, a discussion about possessions and money. So let's talk about the godly example part. Verse 18 to 21. Paul tells them, basically, I wasn't arrogant. I could have been. God spoke to me directly. Has he talked to you? Have you raised anyone from the dead? I could have been arrogant, but that's not how I was. I served you in humility. Tears in trials. Remember that. That's verse 19. Trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How many plots have we read about already? So many. Verse 20. This is interesting and and good for me to read and for y'all to hear. I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Even, not just the easy parts, the hard parts too. I didn't shrink back from teaching you anything that you needed to hear. I think it's one of the... I mean, our church has a lot of positive things and things that are blessing, but I think, well, number one is that we have a high view of God. But... If you go home, if you start itemizing a list of how much scripture you've heard when you come here, it's a lot. From the Sunday school hour, to the responsive reading, to the afternoon study, to the sermon, it is a lot of scripture. And listen, it's what we need. And as we, I mean, we've gone through a lot of stuff since Edward and I have been elders here. We've covered a lot of the Bible. And Thanks be to God, and and he might show me that I'm wrong. I don't believe that we have shrunk back from declaring to you the whole word of God. I'm not hiding from any text. I'll tell you I don't understand what it means. But I'm not hiding from it. It's God's word. It's good. And I think that's what Paul's saying. I didn't shrink back from anything And listen, he had a lot of reason to want to shrink back. He'd been beaten and hurt and people planned to kill him many times because they were upset because he didn't shrink back from declaring the whole word. But even so, he's telling them, listen, I was a good example to you. I kept preaching even though they were beating me, even though they wanted to kill me. Verse 21, testifying to Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus. He walked worthily among them. He preached faithfully. He worked hard at it. 
Verse 22 through 27 is the next section. What's the future hold? Paul says, I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen, but I need to go to Jerusalem. I know some heavy stuff is going to happen to me. The Spirit has testified everywhere that I go. And we're not sure if others are giving him prophetic messages, if God is talking to him repeatedly. He said, I know what's going to, there's something bad that's going to happen to me, but I need to get there. I want to deliver this money to the churches. And he says, my life is not mine. He's willing to spend his life on the Lord's ministry and really fulfill his work. You remember when Jesus was talking to the guy, uh, what's his name, Ananias? Can't remember. The guy who, who helped Paul regain his sight. And he didn't want to go to talk to Paul because he was fearful of him. And he, God told him, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And he did. And Paul accepted it. He accepted it. Verse 23, except the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value or as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. And then he says there, um, verse 24, 25, oh, 26, Therefore I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I think Paul, this, I think this is his point. He has either a strong feeling or God has already told him that some wolves are going to come into the flock there at Ephesus. And he's saying, listen, when y'all get sideways later on your doctrine, don't blame me. You won't be able to blame me. I have not shrunken back from declaring to you everything. It won't be because of me. I taught you true doctrine. I taught you the whole counsel of God. Later on, he talks about having worked with them for three years, day and night with tears. The blood will not be on me when bad doctrine comes up in the church. And then that starts the next section, 28. Be careful, wolves are coming. Pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which He obtained with His own blood. You know, sometimes there's a discussion of what should we call Edward and I? Are we bishops? 
It sounds wrong because of what we think about Catholic or Catholic bishops, but it, it is the word. Bishops, elders, pastors. Is there an office of pastor? Or do elders pastor? Is it a verb or a noun? I think the way the scripture uses it is it's interchangeable. Overseers care for the flock. Oh, you mean be a pastor. Okay. Care for the church, which he obtained with his own blood. Watch out. Jesus died for the church. Right? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. No one takes it from him. He lays it down willingly. He paid for, or he paid the ransom price for the sheep with his own body. What's the price? Your death is the price. And he pays it. He lays it down willingly. Paul says, bad people are going to come in and make themselves known, and you need to protect the flock, overseers. Verse 29, I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. His point is, not just wolves, not wolves that you hear off in the distance that make you fearful, Wolves that actually attack. Wolves that actually don't spare the flock, but kill members of the flock. And even more um, sad is that some of these people are the people who are within the church. From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Be careful. The wolves are definitely coming. Even in the church now. God forbid that happens with anyone in here right now. But Paul knew it was going to happen. Wolves from outside, but even enemies from inside. And they're going to twist stuff that I said, but listen, that's not on me. I taught you all the right things for three years, day and night. I mean, we meet once a week, and we may, you may hear two or three messages from us, but... He was with them all the time, every day, for three years. Verse 22, he starts in, uh, excuse me, um, 32, he starts in with a discussion of possessions. Um, I commend you to the grace of God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know these hands ministered to my necessities and those who were with me. And we know this. Paul often worked as a tent maker, right? Others who were with his company also were tent makers. I think Priscilla and Aquila are tent makers too. And I don't think these are giant tents 
like we picture. These are the little tiny A-frame tent for one or two people probably. He says, I, I wasn't trying to steal money from you. If I needed stuff, I worked. Verse 35, and all things I have shown you that by working hard, we must help the weak. I mean, he commends them to God, right? I can't do anything more for you now. I commend you to God. God's going to be with you. And you have the word of God, the word of grace to build you up. Don't be greedy. Don't be lazy, elders. Work hard. Help the weak. And this is, I never noticed this before. We read something here that is not written anywhere else in Scripture. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is the only place this is, he's not referring to something in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Doesn't this corroborate the the idea that he had other things that he said too, but we couldn't write down all of it. It would take up all the space in the whole world. Jesus said, and it seems like they remember that they were taught that, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we know that. We've incorporated this into our lives, but... I mean, he, he's just collected a massive collection for the Jews in Jerusalem. And it was, he's reminding them, encouraging them, give more. Don't be greedy. Don't try to take something. Work hard. Give. It's one of the blessings if you have a good job, a high-paying job, a good savings. God has enabled you to have resources that others don't have. And you can spend them on whatever you want and have an extra boat and an extra jet ski and an extra house and an extra whatever. Or you can give it. Listen to the words of Jesus. It's better to give than to receive. And then we finish up the chapter. And it's easy to see what's happening. Everyone is sad. He's been with them numerous times, but all together over three years. He's leaving them. He's told them, by the way, you're never going to see me again. What a way to leave. But he's telling them the truth. I won't come back through this way again. The Spirit has testified that imprisonment awaits me in Jerusalem. And if it doesn't, he intends to go to Rome. Um, Verse 38... Verse 37, there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So you can picture this. You can picture them all being sad and praying together and then sort of seeing him off to the ship. 
And this basically ends the third missionary journey. He's back in Jerusalem. Verse 21, or chapter 21, we'll get into that. Declaring the whole counsel of God. Listen to verse 20 again. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He taught them the gospel. That's what he did. Repentance to God, faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the promise of eternal life. I pray as you hear, God willing, you continue to hear the whole counsel of God that you won't be forgetful hearers, but effectual doers. And by God's grace, that will happen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this section. There's a lot that's happened in the history of the church as we work through Acts. We thank you for preserving the text that we might read it. We thank you for working with our brothers and sisters in the past to pass down their testimony. Father, we thank you that we heard it and received it with faith. Help us, Lord. Help us. We want to grow. We want to be um, pleasing in your sight. We know we're pleasing to you because you saved us. You had a good thought to us from a long, long time ago. But we pray that as we conduct ourselves when we're together and when we're not together, that we would walk in a worthy manner that we would encourage each other and pray for each other and glorify the name of Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen.